Inside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Andrew, it's December. Bleak December, as Edgar Allan Poe put it. But we're a ray of sunshine in the week. I am excited about this podcast. I am. Um, I'm looking forward to it, and it's. I, I was just looking at the rundown you sent me. It's so beefy and meaty. It's it's incredible. I know, and there's things that I've added to mine since that you don't even know about. Breaking yeah, you, news things. Breaking news things, indeed. Do you want to yeah. break the news? Well, I'm not breaking it. Uh, it's already been broken. Certainly. Uh, earlier this morning, I saw at MLSsoccer.com. I kind of just did my daily check-in, see what's going on, and I saw a picture of Greg Vanny. I didn't really think much of it. I kind of scrolled down, and I scrolled back up, and then I, I read what was under the picture, and that is that Toronto FC's Greg Vanny has announced that he's stepping down as head coach and technical director of Toronto FC. Wow. It's um, big, Andrew, considering yeah. the success he's had since he was installed in 2014. Um, he's been amazing. And he's one of the more dapper coaches on the sideline in, in MLS. He always looks the part. Uh, and I guess you have to. He's, he's always seemed... When I imagine Greg Vanny, he is with Scarf because of, of the temperatures. But, but seriously, from a football uh, point of view, this is, a, I would imagine, a traumatic day for Toronto supporters. Of course. They, uh, they won the Supporters' Shield and MLS Cup in 2017. Really, they won, they won the treble because they won the Canadian Championship that year as well. Uh, in 2018, he led them to the CONCACAF Champions League final where they lost on penalties. No MLS club, of course, has ever won that competition. That is as close as this league has gotten. Uh, but really, like when I, when I think of him, it's not even those individual competitions, those uh, achievements that I really think of. I think more of like the greater context of what he did, completely changing and rehabilitating the image of a broken club. I mean, when he had arrived, they, they had never made the playoffs. They weren't even really sniffing the playoffs for most of those those eight seasons of their existence. And then he shows up, they make the playoffs right away, and it's kind of like them being the class of the Eastern Conference and maybe them in like Seattle, the class of the league since. And and, and he's done it. You know, they have Javinko, who's arguably among maybe the two or three you could talk about in that category of greatest MLS players we've ever seen. He leaves and you expect this step back, and there is no step back. There's no dropping off from the standard that Vanny had set. But Suelo comes in and they, the machine just keeps on rolling. And, you know, you think about other guys that, you know, younger players who have kind of come in, flourished under him. We started to see it now with Ao Akinola, um, you know, Morrow in the past. Uh, it's They have really been an incredible success story since he arrived there. And um, I, I kind of wonder what precipitated this. You know, seven years with the club is a long time. You wonder if maybe just – He's kind of ready for a change of scenery. If he just wants to do something different, take a step away, maybe his message uh, to some of his players isn't quite getting through the way that it used to. I don't know if I see signs of that out on the field, but uh, who knows? I guess I'm sure we'll find out in the in the days to come. But yeah, I saw that this morning. I just thought, wow, that I didn't expect that. Well, we'll be following what he does in the or what his next step is. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, uh, and there will certainly be a next step. He's still such a young guy. Um, so he won't. You know, he won't be short of suitors in North America. I would think. No, definitely. May, maybe abroad. Pa? Yeah. Mm, wow. JJ just dropping a little grenade there and then just walking away onto the next subject. Very interesting. We'll talk a little more MLS later on as the postseason is. Uh, we're in the full throes of it. Eastern Conference Finals are set. Western Conference is uh, still to be decided. Who will join the two Eastern Conference teams in the Final Four? We'll talk about that. Also, a uh, 
the U.S. JJ has released their um, their squad for the upcoming friendly against El Salvador down in Miami on December 9th. And as you would expect, this one is heavily MLS laden. But I, I a would, lot of interesting whoa, wait, names. Wait, 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 wait. I was waiting for you to say the the word heavily MLS laden. I saw ESPN FC had their article. It said. Uh, MLS heavy squad. I've seen a couple of other articles that have referenced this is MLS heavy. Like it's this massive burden, this weight on the back of Bearhalter. Uh, you know, the, the heaviness, the weight, the heft of MLS. Uh, but I, I've got more to talk about. We, we've, we've, uh, I've got a lot of uh, kind of things to say about, about particularly the striker zone mm-hmm. uh, and the strikers he's picked or the forwards. Yeah. Listed as forwards, Rob. Me too, actually. So we'll get to that before the end of the podcast, I promise. We do have a mailbag this week. JJ, uh, he reprimanded all of you, um, and you have responded. The people have come up big. Uh, I also show a softer side, seeing as uh, I am now being cast as this curmudgeonly, spiritless zombie who has nothing but a, a Grinch character. After my, uh, I suppose, I, the Ted Lasso incident, really, plus the way I treat you in general. Yeah, I was um, going to say, it, it's it's a color you wear quite well. It comes yes. very naturally to you. Yeah, Imagine well, I, yeah, well I, I might be giving a shout out in the mailbag for something that's kind of soft and fluffy. So there and we that go. Just, that just changes everything, huh? Yeah, it does. But the mailbag Years is very... of perception just out the window in one shout out to a listener. Okay. The mailbag, the mailbag is very good. Though. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to every aspect of this podcast. Yeah, me too. Let's get right into it now. Uh, before we do, oh. before we do, can I, can I just go ahead and say this rather quickly? That um, the feedback uh, to our Maradona podcast that we dropped on our caught off side feed was really, really nice. I was in a car traveling up for, for Thanksgiving, upstate for Thanksgiving, and, and we did it literally 10 minutes after we the news broke that Maradona passed away. Uh, thanks for, for all the nice comments. And also, please subscribe to our specific podcast feed because when we do things like that, that's more often than not random things, breaking news, emergency pods, they might end up there. So you should always subscribe to our Caught Offside feed on Spotify, Stitcher, and um, on iTunes, of course. Yeah, and it's still it, it's something I take for granted. I guess like it still surprises me when we get messages from people saying, "I didn't know you guys had your own feed." So many people find us through ESPN FC's uh, feed, which is great. You can certainly find us there, but we do also have our own specific caught offside channel. You um, should like you subscribe said, to that. And you, you never, I wouldn't say we do it often, but you never quite know when bonus material is going to wind up there. And you and I are preparing for the day when ESPN FC decides, eh, we've had enough of them. <laughs> and then we'll be reliant upon our own channel. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But yes, um, that story continues to develop as well. And uh, sad, in the days since, you know, all the, the testimonials and the comments, um, you know, looking back on on his life, again, he's, he's one of these larger-than-life figures and it's it's still strange to think that he that maradona is gone so much i've too young yeah way too young i've imbibed so much maradona content over the last uh, few days uh which has been both sad and also uplifting because he was such an amazing player um but i if i could direct anyone towards one article that you need to read it's jonathan wilson in the guardian where he talks about maradona why was he such a big deal in argentina he was literally prophesized he was a messianic figure. He really was. This was the person who was going to lead Argentina to the promised land as predicted by a writer in the 1920s. Um, it's it's a wonderful piece by Jonathan Wilson and, and it's the definitive piece on Maradona's legacy for me. Wow. 
Um, yeah, good shot by you. So, um, all right, let's uh, let's get into some of the big action from over the weekend, JJ, in the Premier League. We'll start there. Um, I suppose your what turned out to be the most intriguing match of the weekend. It may not have looked like it on the fixture list, but in the end, Manchester United once again. JJ Solshire, like we talked about in the United Everton game a few weeks earlier, he gets pushed right to the brink. He's staring down his career mortality, and then they fight back and they come back and win. They were two goals down. They win three two, thanks in large part to the work of Edison Cavani, who now I guess you know there's a lot of um, I feel like relitigating of his early time with Manchester United and and all of a sudden what a successful brilliant move that this could turn out to be. People weren't really saying that a week ago. Um, I feel like perceptions have changed quickly based on his performance. And by the way, that is fair. You know, we were presented with new information. He did this. Maybe this is now he's grown into the club. He's grown into the league. Maybe we'll see this more often. But um, I don't know if the signs were necessarily there that this was coming. Um, Before I get on to Edinson Cavani, I want to return to your your analogy about all his mortality. I've dropped the Flatliners reference. Nobody picked up on it. Nobody saw that film. Very unlikely that they saw the 2017 version either. This is more Ole base jumping to the extreme. But this time he pulled the cord right before he slammed into the West Side Highway, which is a really specific analogy and a cultural moment that I am, uh, I'm, I'm wondering, will anyone pick up on? But it was base jumping. Um, but we should give Ali credit for pulling the ripcord, which was to bring on. Is that the ripcord? It's not the ripcord. Mm-hmm. What is That's the. What I think so. That's what I call it. Is it the ripcord? Okay. Yeah. Well, Ole pulled the ripcord at the right time because he made the decision to get rid of Greenwood and bring on Cavani. No, to Cavani specifically in this game, Andrew. Um, He was brilliant, and he was brilliant in more than one aspect. He linked the play very well. He started drifting out wide to the right to get on the ball, to link up with Bruno Fernandes. But when he needed to be in the center on those two goals, that's the pure striker's instinct. That that is why you've brought him into the club, um, because he can do that, and you're gambling that he's still got a bit of that left in him. The I think, was it the second or the first goal he got, which was the deflected header off the Bruno Fernandes shot? Doesn't matter. But that just was illustrative of what he brings into that situation. Like, who gambles on that shot being deflected where it was? And he just dives on it and scores. And it's both brilliant that he is now showing what he can do for Manchester United, but also really concerning that this game tilted on a 33-year-old centre-forward who was out of contract and brought to the club as a kind of a a fill-in, really, let's be totally honest, because they didn't get what they wanted and was almost on his way to MLS. So, like, you can look at it both ways. It's kind of, it was a really good decision by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to bring him into the game and know that he could change the game, but it was also kind of classic United, scrambling around for a marquee centre-forward to bring to the club. it, It can be both things. Uh, Yeah, that's true. Now, look, he's not just some 33-year-old. I mean, he he comes with a great deal of pedigree. It feels almost a little bit like their move to bring Zlatan to Manchester United several years ago. Um, you know, a, a striker who can get I know, goals, advancing in age. Ah, Andrew, I know, but come on, let's 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 identify the strikers that they've had to bring in. Like, look at the ones they wanted. Look at the forwards they've wanted and have not got. They've pursued Haaland. They didn't get him. They pursued Sancho. They didn't get him. They pursued, you know, Egalo. They got him. 
why would they have got him? Of course. You know, he's right. not a top-ranked striker. And they and they pursued a, an excellent striker in Cavani, but one who was cashing in his chips in Europe, who was about to move to to MLS. So I, I think it's uh, you can look at it both ways. It's indicative of, of who you United are right now and also indicative that this guy still has something to, to give to the game. Well, you can see what his instincts still are as a player. His movement in the box, his near post runs that he's you know almost famous for. Um, and I'm so curious, what, like, what does this mean for him and Solskjaer moving forward? What is Cavani's role? Will he continue to be this kind of super sub, secret weapon that United will spring from the bench when they need an attack in the you know after the half, or is he at some point if Martial continues to struggle? At some point, are they going to be left with no choice but to say, you know what, that Cavani has proved his worth. Let's give him a run, and he's our new guy. Some, something that struck me was if if you were looking at another thirty three year old striker or in in around that age group, you'd say oh, we got to manage minutes, we got to think about minutes. But prior to his arrival at United, the big talk was this guy does a huge amount of personal fitness work to stay to stay in peak condition if you look at him his jaw is chiseled we talk about chiseled jaws this guy's is literally hewn from some kind of marble um he looks in excellent shape and what why would you not try and start him what is there to be gained from not doing it you saw the way he canned things down in the attack now southampton were out on their feet in fairness southampton fell really deep and invited united on but in the past that hasn't been a recipe for united winning games quite the opposite did you know there was a, a stat that the commentators brought up over half the games where United dominate the ball, they lose. That's it's an incredible stat to me. Um, recent games, obviously, under Solskjaer. So, you know, I thought Van de Beek as well helped things. Uh, particularly towards the end, his passing was really, really good. Um, Fernandez again, is key for them. Why would you not, when you can see someone who can make those intelligent runs and you've got Fernandez who can pick him out, why would you not pick Cavani and, and give him a run in the team? Yeah, I think I think we're kind of heading towards that. By the way, one other note from this not on Manchester United on Southampton. Um, we have not spoken much about James Ward Prowse, JJ. No, we haven't. He's been he's been neglected by us. Yeah. Poor boy. I, I mean, is this guy like he's reaching a point now where I, I'm almost like mentally I'm kind of in a place with him where if a foul is committed somewhere around the penalty area, let's say like 23 yards out. I almost and and he steps up over the ball. I almost kind of enter what happens next with the same mentality as I do a player stepping up to take a penalty. Like I'm kind of in my head, just like okay, Southampton just scored. How are they going to respond? Like that's that's kind of where I'm at with him taking free kicks. He's he's entering a realm, and I'm dead serious with this. A realm where in the past, when Ian Hart, who played uh, for Leeds United, would step up for a free kick when Leeds the last time Leeds were really good. You were like, oh, oh, here we go. You, it's box office. You know something's going to happen. Beckham the same. Um, Lauren Robert for different reasons. It's either going to go thundering into the into the seats, or it's going to hit the back of the net. But you're you're absolutely right. It's what's going to happen here. And um, there's a brilliant video of him and Matt Letizia from I think last season, where he talked Letizia through his technique. Two icons of of free kick taking talked about. How, how they would do it. And, and Ward-Prowse is right up there. What, what was it I said? There was a period when Christian Eriksen was taking free kicks for, for Tottenham mm-hmm. and every one of them was on the frame. It didn't always go in, obviously, but everyone was on the frame or worked the keeper. And Ward-Prowse is in that realm right now. It's, it's really, really good. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, so 3-2, Manchester United, a huge win for them and for their manager. Uh, meanwhile, J.J. Arsenal, um, they lose to Wolves. Uh, given what happened to Raul Jimenez, that's almost the side story from that. We'll talk about Jimenez in a moment. But first, I do want to start with Arsenal here because this is just – whatever it is that's gone on with them is so strange to me just considering kind of where the general consensus was with the direction they were headed coming into this season off of their FA Cup run. Um, you know, it had been – the Community Shield can be whatever I guess you want it to be. Right now, I suppose we would say it's fool's gold. Um, but to see like what – we thought of them a couple months ago and where they are now. Um, I guess we were all, many of us were wrong that felt like their trajectory was positive. So the questions you have to ask with them is, okay, what is the problem here? And is it fixable? Um, so so I, I suppose I have to begin with the mayor called by Andrew, because I, I think I saw this moving in the right direction. It's it's so recent that we had the cup, the FA Cup final because of COVID that that's fresh in our minds. It's only a couple, only a few months ago that Arsenal were winning at Wembley, and I looked at that and I pieced together, you know, results against Manchester United where they played a certain way, and the fact you felt they were getting more defensively resolute, and you looked at it and you said, well, Arteta, he doesn't have all the players he wants. He's dealing largely with inherited players. He's you know, got bits and pieces together. He got Danny Ceballos back again for another season. So this is moving in the right direction. But any kind of upsets is because he's focusing on one part of the field and hasn't quite figured out the other part of the field yet. Um, maybe I'm wrong in that. It certainly seems that way. In times like this, the best thing to do is to read the Arse Block match, um, Arse Blog's match report. And that's not good because look at the questions that Andrew Mangan is asking here, Andrew. Um, what is the problem? So Arsblog goes about it this way. What is this team trying to do? For me, that's the biggest concern. I really don't know. We're not a pressing team. We're not a team that dominates possession. We're not really a counter-attacking team unless we're playing so-called big opposition, a moniker that pretty much fits every Premier League team compared to us right now, United in particular at Old Trafford. We don't shoot enough. We don't create enough chances. We bang in a lot of crosses to a striker whose game doesn't suit that style of play. What are we doing? What do we want to be? What is the vision? Is there a vision? Now, this is a guy who's, who's you know, his, his likelihood is following Arsenal Football Club and analysing Arsenal. Those are some harrowing questions. Now, he doesn't make the point that... I Look, I looked at the team, Andrew, and I looked at the mi midfield, you know, so you have... Sabayas, you have Xhaka, and then you have a three with kind of William Willock and Zaka, Saka in the team. And you looked, you think that's that's a little bit lightweight. And also, you know, Granit Xhaka is still at the club. He's still part of, of this midfield. Now, Thomas Partey's not fit. So maybe if he comes back in, he is definitely a signing that Arteta wanted. Maybe he links everything together. Maybe that's the X factor in midfield. But right now, it's not really working. And I can't diagnose the exact problem. And it seems like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a cop-out to, to just say for Arteta, these aren't his players. These, these really aren't his personnel. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's a cop-out probably. Yeah, I kind of think it is too. I guess for me, the most surprising thing is whatever it is that's happening to Aubameyang is for me what was most unexpected. Uh, 
at this point in the season. Like, I don't know that there was any sign that we were headed in this kind of direction with the drop off in his performance the way that we are. Um, you know, you talked about the lack of chances, or Andrew Mangan talked about the lack of chances that Arsenal are getting. They're 14th in the table, but just the same, they're 14th in expected goals. Like, they're really, they're really not generating any opportunities to score. Uh, and so you kind of can't help but look at Aubameyang. They've moved him around. They've taken Lacazette out of the starting 11, which I don't quite know if that's the answer because it felt like the interplay between the two of them last season was headed in the right direction. But they've now moved Aubameyang back centrally. But uh, Nick Wright wrote this. He said, in total at the Emirates Stadium on Sunday, and despite Arsenal having almost 70% of the possession in the second half, Aubameyang only touched the ball 23 times. It was his fewest in any game all season and fewer too than any other player on the night. I think it was actually either one fewer or one more than Burnt Leno. Like right. this, this can't be, this is your best player for better or for worse. Uh, like he cannot, you cannot neutralize your own best player in this way. So when you talk about if, if this problem is fixable, what do they do with him? I mean, like I know this will, Arsenal fans won't want to hear this, but like, do they take a page out of the Tottenham book and try to move Aubameyang deeper to get like, like what Tottenham have done with Harry Kane a little bit, just to get him more involved with the play to see more of the ball. I don't know if he's the passer that Kane is, but just to get him more involved in some way, you never know what can change a guy's confidence. Uh, I don't know. This, this to me is, is the problem for them right now. Okay. Yeah. And I I do think it might, you know, that all, a lot of it suggests to a creativity issue, but yeah, I, I I really don't know. And I don't know what, what they do right now. And it, it worries me that it's not apparently clear what can be done. Yeah, I guess that's maybe that is then just a personnel issue. They're just they're just not good enough. And by the way, that could be. Um, yeah, you, again, you look you look at that team, you look at that midfield in particular, and it's hard to come to the conclusion that that's a very competitive, very good midfield compared to some other teams. And you know, Arteta he spoke after the game and he talked glowingly about the performance in the second half. And look, I don't always know how seriously to take a manager's comments post-match when, you know, after they've lost the game, you don't know what, what message he's trying to send to his team, but you know, he, he just kept going on and on. And I, I don't know. Did you think that they were that great in the second half? Not, no. Like, I, what, were there what, any truly like, you know, next level scoring chances that they generated? Not, well, I don't if, think so. If anything, from what I saw of it, Wolves kind of sat back a bit. <laughs> they felt like maybe well, that's what the they job, do. That, yeah. The job. Well, yeah. Wolves aren't going to be on the front foot for 90 minutes. So no, yeah, and, and that's when, you know, if a team does sit back, that's where you need your creativity. You need someone who can pick locks and find passes, and and um, and they don't have it. Yeah. Meanwhile, we mentioned the incident with Raul Jimenez and David Luiz. Um, first of all, it was sickening. It, it was it really was because, you know, I've heard this talked about, but the uh, the lack of crowd in the stadium, you could hear the the crash of heads. It was it was really unnerving. You knew right away that this was a serious incident. Um, it's, you know, Raul Jimenez was rushed to the hospital, underwent surgery. Um, hopefully he's doing well. Uh, obviously everyone will, will feel that way about his recovery. Don't know when we'll see him on the field again. Um, the thing that was interesting to me, interesting in kind of the wrong sense, um, David Louise remaining in the game. Um, I don't know. It just, Look, maybe he was fine. If he underwent whatever concussion tests were necessary and and he passed all those tests, then okay, I guess there's no reason to take him out. But I don't know. We just I feel like we continuously get back to the same place, JJ, of there has to be some change within the rules to allow a temporary substitution while 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 David Luiz can undergo 
for some kind of further examination because it's just I don't like it just seems like a, a really quick interval that they're able to check him to make sure he's fine and then wrap up his head and okay you're back yeah. out there it just I don't know it didn't sit well with me uh, yeah it doesn't sit well it doesn't sit well what we know about head clashes and we know about you know concussions don't have to be staggering around I can't get back on the field for something serious to have, have happened sometimes the onset of symptoms can be after the game or maybe an hour or two later so it's it's very hard to to assess it and um, Troy Deeney's come in for some fire for for his comments he he appeared to first of all Arsenal said that they they followed all the correct concussion protocols and by the way uh, I'm sure they did yeah um, Dini ap- appeared to back the Gunners on Monday's Talksport Breakfast, saying players and club doctors should be trusted to make the right decisions. Uh, the Watford striker said, "How many things are already being taken away from the players? You're already told by sports scientists how much you can run, how much you can't. At some point, there has to be an element of trust between player and doctor. You do have all the protocols in place at the start of preseason, as well as testing your heart. You also do concussion tests." which are a lot of varied questions that are repeated back to you. Some are very simple that you should normally pass and get right. They'll do these little tests, ask you questions as simple as who are we playing today? What's the score? What day of the week is it? Things like that you should know instantly because when you're concussed, that will blur your memory and you might get it wrong. And that's when they'll say there are certain things we need to start checking now. But as a player, you know when something is not right. From watching David Luiz and the 20 minutes after his clash of heads, he never looked shaky on his feet. His legs weren't gone from underneath him. They've followed all the protocols in terms of he's ticked every box. And then afterwards, you don't see anything other than blood to suggest he's in a bad way. I just think that's a simplistic reading of what's going on and what we're beginning to learn about the brain. From what I've been told, you don't have to have, you don't have to not be able to run. You don't have to have weak legs and falling over. Those are the extreme cases. Well, then let me ask you. So your answer to this then would be, you're to be removed. No, he comes out. If there's a clash of heads like that, they co- the player comes out. That's and it's it. done for the game. Done. Okay. That's it. There's no way. Look at what we're learning in, in, in football, Andrew. Like we're learning uh, in the past ten decade, we've learned that it doesn't have to be a crash to the head. It can be the pushing action that snaps your neck back that can create a concussion. Like we're learning so much now. Right. And that we have to, you know, it's a long life and a brain isn't like hammy. It's not like a groin. So here's, so we, here's my only, my only issue with what you say um, is not every situation is going to be as clear cut as this one. Like if you say oh, when there's a clash of heads, that's it. He's out of the game. Well, most clashes of heads don't involve what we saw with these two, like this one to me, you're right. This was obvious. You got players <laughs> down. One of them's unconscious. Uh, there's no question about, but most clashes of heads aren't quite like this. Well, so, you know, no, they're it, not. It's going to be gray area. And to tell a manager when he thinks his player is fine and nobody's been unconscious and no one's been down on the ground to say, that's it. You're, you know, he, you're got, Virgil van Dyke. He's done in the 30th minute. Well, what about, what? Why? Like, it's well, going to be what, tough. What about, well, what about this then? Your idea. So you have an independent concussion assessor on the sideline. God knows the Premier League can afford it to do it. It's no problem. Independent of the doctors, right? He assesses and you get a, like a blood sub. You get a sub that comes in, a, a temporary substitution that can be made to bring in a sub to cover while he's being assessed, while they give it the length of time needed to do as much as they can to assess this. Now, I'm not sure that's 100% effective because like I said, symptoms can show up way after the event. But... Let's put it in the hand of independent doctors. That, that's how I do it anyway. 
from my limited I mean, look, knowledge. it's essentially what the NFL does. Those guys, they go in the, they're, they're taken off the field, they go in the tent, they get examined, and then a decision is made. You know, I think you should have a similar situation in the Premier League. Uh, that's that to me is it seems simple, but it's not. It's for whatever reason. Uh, let's see, JJ. The on paper match of the weekend, Tottenham and Chelsea. I don't know if it quite played out as your uh, match of the weekend. It was the second half in particular was kind of dull. The first half, I think, had a few spells where it was. Oh, it was rubbish, forward. Andrew. Oh, um, it's crap. Oh, it's bloody rubbish. <laughs> rubbish. Rubbish. Um, you know, it was funny because after the match, Mourinho, uh, he makes a comment about how disappointed he was to not have won the Why game. He's beaming and happy. He, he's, right. burst, he's bursting with joy like, in telling that there is no joy in the locker room, which is I just... Heard, I heard this mentioned somewhere else. I wish I could give it credit. I don't remember where, but like <laughs> Mourinho, he has the nerve to say that but this is the same guy that just decided in a tie game relatively late Gareth Bale's on my bench but no 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 I'm going to bring on Ben Davies to see this one out like yeah. okay but yeah I understand now here to play devil's advocate to myself for a second and by the way it it is to me it is okay if he feels content with it if he's happy with the draw like i know he's not gonna say fine that, but, fine right. but don't treat us like we don't know who you are we don't right. know how you work he, you know like stop yeah the uh, i i guess if i was actually gonna actually don't stop it's funny right um if i was gonna play devil's advocate to my own point here about what how i don't believe him the only thing i will say on Mourinho's behalf is this with the way tottenham play um, and with their ability to score goals on the break i think that Mourinho probably does believe okay if we do our job and hold the other team scoreless, we should always win. Like, he might believe that it's never acceptable, no matter who they're playing, no matter how few chances they may have. He believes that the way they play and how lethal they are on the counterattack, it should only take one chance for them to All score. Right. And Tottenham were wasteful uh, oh. in, in a few moments in this game. So he may think, if we if we shut the opponent out, we should win. E- equally, look, I mean, Roden presented Giroud with a chance to totally spoil the party that he... A striker of his caliber should be finishing. But you can imagine how hurt or how annoyed, irritated Mourinho would have been by Steven Bergwijn's missed chance. You can, you can, you know nothing better than him to have destroyed the party with it with a goal like that at that moment. The worst was was Lacelso in the 93rd minute. I mean oh, Zuma oh. gives it away, and that is patented Tottenham getting a goal on a, on a break and opportunity. It, what's he trying to do? Like a, a little know. chip, I think, or something? He's trying to dink it over know, the I don't key. know if he was caught within two minds. I don't know oh, what he was trying to do. Put your foot through it. Seriously, that's he, not He time. had two players streaking into the box. I, I would have hit Sun with the pass on the left. I, I, I think, think that was Sun who was streaking in. Yeah, you know, you're right. Oh, outside of him on the left. Yeah, he, that was he it. He turned to his right. No, you're right. Yeah. And and you'd, no. fancy, you'd fancy Sun in that position. Um, but Andrew, like, I was so excited for this game over the week and I really shouldn't have been. I, I like I, I was pumped for it and I really shouldn't have been because the formula was quite clear. Like the formula was notoriously conservative manager who works to destroy you with elite tackers on the break enters a away game plus manager who has just found a means to plug his leaky defense but maybe not fully found a system to utilize his elite attacking talent and doesn't want to commit enough to get sucker points on a transition equals... A zero zero snooze fest. Yeah. Now I do want to talk a little bit about Chelsea. Um, I think that. Well, well before we do, me. before we get off Mourinho, I'm not. No, I'm not letting you go. Uh, you you need to react to this. Everyone knows my feelings. Uh, this is Jose. We are not even in the race. We are not a horse. 
We are just a pony. I'm very happy with the profile and happy to be with my amazing coaching staff, Zhao, Ledley, all of these guys, coaching and teaching these guys. I'm very happy with my guys, very happy with my team, very happy with this mentality of coming to Stamford Bridge. We get a point, we are top of the league, and we are not happy. That's great. Deal with the, uh, we've dealt with the second part, deal with the first part there. We are not even in the race, we are not a horse. We are just a pony. I mean, what, what a load of old poop. Right. He's just, this is just like, this stuff isn't to be taken seriously. No, no. It's not. So I don't, like, I see it and I smile. It's funny to me. Like, I feel like, you know, everybody had their own opinions of him after all or nothing. Um, I came away from it finding him to be an endearing figure. Everyone, you, you can all judge me however you want. Many people agree, many disagree. Uh, so I see that stuff and I kind of, I laugh at it. Other people get angry and worked up by, oh, he's a liar. Look at him lying to us. Like, so whatever, <laughs> like everybody can take it. I will admit they want. I have fun with them. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, with so Chelsea, let's get on. Oh, we need to talk about Chelsea. Yeah, we no, we really do. We really do. Um, look, credit to them uh, in that, through the early part of the season, they've, they've already qualified for the group stage of the Champions League, which is not a small achievement. Um, they've dealt with an injury to Christian Pulisic, who we deem to be their most important player coming into the season. Now, maybe Timo Werner is actually that, but Pulisic is right there with him. You know, Kai Havert, uh, Havert's coming off of the, the COVID uh, list. Um, so like, I think for me with Chelsea, what stands out is that I didn't think their defending was going to hold up as well as it has. And it's a long season. They're going to be contending on multiple fronts. So we'll see if a player like Thiago Silva, Kurt Zuma, you know, we'll see how these players hold up over the course of the season. I don't know that Thiago Silva is going to be able to play multiple matches in a week. Um, He's been great so far. But so far, like the the early returns on this, on what was clearly the biggest question mark for me with them, has been very positive. And if that if that continues... Bearing in mind the teams they have played over this stretch. I mean, maybe I'm contradicting myself. Okay, they've played Sevilla. That's a top team. Ren, okay. But they've also had Krasnodar. They've also had Sheffield United who are not in a good spot. They've had teams like, I don't mean to downplay it, but, you know, we need a, we need a larger sample size. But generally speaking, I think he's been very good for them too. Um, I, the flip side to that is, uh, and I know Havertz is only coming back. I know Pulisic's only coming back. And those those are key points to be made about, about this Chelsea side. You know, I, I I don't think you can give a full assessment to Chelsea until Pulisic is fully fit and playing games. And I don't think you can give a full assessment either at Chelsea. Like, Chelsea have hoovered up some of the best young European talent available in Havertz and Werner and Pulisic and Ziyech. Sorry, Ziyech. Um, but there is a flip side that says... Could they not have done a little bit more at the weekend? Could they have done just a little bit more and taken the game to Tottenham? You know, put aside the fear. And the fear is real of what Spurs will do to you on the break. There's no question. But just look at what they did in the first half. Like, say, for example, the ball constantly was going to Zayish on the right-hand side. And what would he do? He'd come in on his left and he'd try and find Timo Werner at the back post. And it was it was a very high percentage difficulty pass that he was making. I don't know how many times it either Werner narrowly missed it or it skipped out over the end. And I thought, well, why not mix this up? Give Zayish a bit more ro- scope. Tell him to come to the left-hand side. Do you know, Whip it in from the opposite side. And then second half, looking to try and win it. What did they do? Zayish tucked in and they got Reese James down and they got a bit of joy. You know, they got a few crosses into the box, but Giroud, you know, 
it was Tammy Abraham on the end of it, not Olivier Giroud. Maybe the switch to be made was if you're going to have Zayish tucked in and you're going to have Reese James making those runs, maybe you get Giroud on a bit earlier. So, yeah, maybe it's too early because you've got Havertz and Pulisic just coming back to say, I'm disappointed they should have done more. Maybe, but but from my perspective, like I, with with the the talent available, maybe they could have gone at Spurs a little bit more. Well, I would say a couple things to that. For one, easier said than done. This is what yeah, well, Mourinho I've does. That. I've said that. Yeah, like Mourinho is really as good as it gets in doing this. And look, even without Toby Alderweireld, uh, Eric Dyer has been very good. Uh, Joe Rodon, I thought was. Okay, he might have been the guy that if badly I were, finished badly. Would you not yeah. target him a bit more? Right, that that's the one area I would think. But you know, Tottenham's ability to kind of drop Sissoko back in defense, which is a role he's become excellent at. Um, you know, Tottenham are not, as we've seen, they're just not going to be easy to break down. Manchester City couldn't do it, and City came back and dropped five on Burnley this past week, and a, a team that we do associate with also not being easy to break down. So, you know, it's it's not easy. Having said all that, you know, Chelsea did have like. Timo Werner was what a few inches from from oh, yeah. a brilliant goal. Oh yeah, he, yeah. He was but, clearly offside, but not by much. But like that's uh, the on, that's literally the only time they did it. Then you know I would have been looking to get Werner in and release him more. How about you bring Ziyech even further in field? Maybe even have him on a similar side and try and, and pick passes in behind. Yeah, you also had Mason Mount forcing an excellent save from Hugo Lloris in the second half. So that was good. Yeah, that and was and good. obviously, like we said, Rodon when he was tested late with the the header back to the keeper, it was a disaster. And Giroud, he really should have done a lot better than what he did. He didn't put nearly enough on it, and it turned out to be an easy save for Lloris. So Chelsea did have a few opportunities, um, but this is this is what we're going to get with Tottenham. They're going to be tough, no question about it. Um, but yeah, so far my my early returns on Chelsea, I was almost wondering if we need to if we should do an in the club at some point on them. We could get the, future. yeah, we could, we, we've got enough Chelsea contacts to, to do that, to reach out. I wonder would Frank remember me from his time in New York if, if we tried to get Lampard on? Uh, I would say no chance. I don't think you leave nearly that kind of impression on people. But I met him three times and spoke to his wife on top of the Empire State Building. Is, is that enough? Well, we spoke. What is, we, sounds like a scene from Sleepless in Seattle. No, I'm just saying that like, yeah, and I met him in Bay Ridge at a fans event as well, and we chatted there too. I mean, that's three times, Andrew. Right? No shot. No shot. I have a big, memorable nose. <laughs> if he saw my face, he might remember me. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, a couple more things I wanted to mention here, JJ. Liverpool, they drop a couple points thanks to a, a late penalty. Yeah. Um, contentious, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you sound off on that. Yeah, no, look, uh, when, when you slow it down, when, when you take it to the absolute um, microbial, uh, microscopic thing that, that VAR does, um, then, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a foul. It's going to be a penalty um, because that's what VAR does. I mean... I don't know that that's quite as microscopic as what you oh, were making whoa. it. Like, this oh. is not molecular in the way some of the offsides are. Like, this was... Robertson kicking someone. Um, yeah, but like that doesn't need to be microbial. Well, no, people were trying to say if that happens out the field, it probably, you know, oh, that's no. yeah, but I, I actually, I, I looked at it. I, I keep looking at it and I, it's just, I think it's the level of innocuousness. Um, 
Now, Danny Welbeck said this. It was one of those games we had to try and stick it and stick in until the end. We knew we could create some opportunities and exploit their backline. We got a soft penalty, but it's one we'll take. We got the point and we'll move on now to next week. In today's game with the VAR, I got in there in front and nicked it around him. Around him. He kicked me and then the ball. So the referee went to the screen and made his decision. But, you know, he's right. It's I love these guys that like win a penalty and then show up the referee for rewarding them a penalty. Right, right. <laughs> but, but that's the kind of thing. So... So VAR is, I, I, I guess, I guess I really can't have any complaints because this is what VAR brings to the game. But you know, if there is no VAR, Welbeck's not even bothered about it. We all play on. Liverpool win one nil. I was the one that tweeted before the game how I thought Brighton would give Liverpool real problems, and they did. Liverpool didn't play that well. Um, yeah, I, for me, it, it, it wasn't a penalty. But obviously, when when you get down to it, it was a penalty. Um, the offside's infuriating. Um, also, n- we can't know that they're entirely accurate from pixelation, from the time the ball leaves the foot, from all those things. I'm still not even sure about any of them, but I'm not going to complain because no, th- that's... Wouldn't, ju- wouldn't be like you. <laughs> but but look, this is the reality we have right now. Um, we, we have an email in, 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 the, uh, in the mailbag about, about a Dutch solution to this problem, and we'll get to that later. So I don't want to dwell too much on it, which... Another factor I want to bring in is how it changes how we look at games. Like we should be applauding uh, Potter for a brilliant performance and how we, how he used his team well. Um, but oh, we're not. Man. We're talking about VAR. Um, and also, it was interesting on NBC the the offside goal, which was a, it was a brilliant goal by Salah, absolutely superb goal. But when it throws back to the studio, one of the great pieces of skill of the season so far is not talked about. Like Alisson pings a 40-yard ball to Roberto Firmino, who chest controls it, lets it roll down his body, and then flicks it straight in to the path of the onrushing Salah. Like one of the great assists, albeit it didn't count. And all you get from Tim Howard, because there's a rush to talk about the VAR decision, is, yeah, yeah, Roberto Firmino's done well there. And I don't blame Tim Howard, but VAR is like taking over our lives. And, And let's talk about Aston Villa and West Ham last night. Look at what the lines that were drawn, the 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 minute microscopic detail we had to go into to deny Ollie Watkins, who was being fouled anyway. Like VAR gets the offside right to this nth degree, but it gets the foul wrong. You know, he's been assaulted by Agbana as he goes into the box. He's been rugby tackled. Like, it's just not working. It just isn't working. So there. With the... Uh... With regards to Liverpool, much of the action then occurred after the match. <laughs> yes, Jurgen Klopp on, on, on spoke a different again. issue. Yeah, yes, he, we, he did. We, we talked a little bit about this last week, and Klopp is now doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on his frustration with the schedule. Well, equ- equally, I would say the the pushback is is quadrupling down too. Um, that was a fascinating exchange, which it, you it was. do not see. No, you don't see. But don't forget that I suppose. Des Kelly had a week to be prepped for it. Okay, so we had Jeff Shreves last week from Sky Sports who got both barrels from Jurgen. And I felt Jeff was very, you know, Jeff Shreves, a very English Anglo-Saxon name. He was trying to be nice about it. He was trying to placate Jurgen a little bit. Whereas Des, Des Kelly, son of Irish immigrants, had a full week and he was not stepping down. He was not standing down and he pushed back. Now we're like, we got asked on Twitter, who do we think is correct? I think the overall point of Jurgen Klinsmann, or Jurgen Klinsmann, good Lord, Jurgen Klopp is correct. But I think Des Kelly is a point too. And it's a point I made last week. 
when does Jurgen Klopp look upstairs and, and say to his chief executives, are you representing us, our point of view and our beliefs on the Wednesday, Saturday morning, early kickoff in the way that we want? So I went deep on this because oh, okay. I honestly, part of it is me trying to almost educate myself. Like I texted you over the weekend and I said, JJ, I need help with this. I've played other sports, but I've never, you know, I've played early games in those sports, but I've never... I've never really been a competitive soccer player. So you're going to have to help me out here and tell me just how great a difference playing in that early game is as opposed to playing two or three hours later. And I furnished you with information. Yeah. And so you're, you're telling me that there is a difference. Yeah. Um, and fair enough. I will defer to you on that. Gary Neville, however, is not buying any of this. And I was a little bit, well, maybe I shouldn't be so surprised, but here's some of what he's saying. He, he's got, um, he says the arguments made by Klopp are the same arguments that Alex Ferguson used to make to try and gain some kind of psychological edge. Here's Neville. He said, there might be an element of COVID and sports science, but the real, uh, but the rest time has been there. The games are not coming thicker and faster than any other season. The Saturday kickoffs are not coming thicker and faster than any other season. So the exceptional points Klopp is making haven't happened. Neville uh, goes hang further. On, ha- hang on. Can I interject? Uh, yeah, yeah, respond to that. Sure. Yeah. Gary. <laughs> They had five weeks. Like, don't pretend like the season didn't go right into the middle of the summer. Don't pretend like there hasn't been international breaks. Don't pretend like also they had five weeks in in which to fit rest from the previously just ended season and preseason. Also, like that, it is being, it is much more crammed. Like, there's no point. You can't. He he addresses all this. Should I continue? He addresses every one of these points. He, He was not leaving anything to chance here with this argument. I give him credit. Neville goes further. He said, I don't think it's an exceptional season. It's exceptional in that the players have had more rest than they've ever had before. They had three months of rest from March until June. They then played nine matches where Klopp played all his best players, even when they'd won the league. And then they had five weeks off up to the community shield. In any season I ever played in a World Cup or European Championships, I only ever got three or four weeks anyway. There's more rest this year than in any year in football's history. I don't get this idea that it's a unique season. The fans aren't in the stadiums. The feeling's not there for the players. So there's that, he says. Then he goes into the early kickoff point. Before we get to that, you Uh should also factor in that last season, the never-ending season that only finished in the summer, Liverpool, and I'm making, again, I'm making the Jurgen Klopp argument here. Liverpool also, think of their, their workload that December and January. They went to the World Club Championships. You know, like their December was as busy as it's ever been. This is like a, a, a continuation. You can't you can't look at this season in just isolation, but okay. Okay. Then he talks about the early kickoffs. He said they've been around for nearly 20 years. It's not a new issue. Liverpool have played two games there, and no club is allowed to play more than six. Neville went even deeper here to prove his point. He shows that Liverpool, in comparison with other really good teams from the past 20 years, um, Liverpool aren't being asked to play any more often than any of the other great teams from the past with the idea being, of course, that the better you are, the more often you play. Liverpool right now are averaging a match once every 5.4 days. Chelsea, in 2012-2013, averaged a match once every 4.1 days. Liverpool's 5.4 is actually even fewer than smaller clubs with much smaller squads like Middlesbrough and Fulham, the years that they made deep Europa League runs. So, like, it's a lot. This is now me talking. This isn't Neville talking. Don't get me wrong. I understand Jurgen Klopp's points here. It is a lot that is being asked of Liverpool. There's no question about it. I do get his frustration dealing with injuries. There's wear and tear on this club from three long emotional seasons that have kind of all you know accumulated now up until this season where they're Correct. dealing with all the with the smaller squad because of the injuries that they're faced that's a, with. That's and a huge he is, point. 
and he's trying to work the angles here. Just yeah. like Neville said at the start of this, what Sir Alex Ferguson used to do. He is working all the angles. Plant a seed in the schedule maker's head that you've been treated un- we've been treated unfairly. So the next but, time they're making a schedule, we'll think point, about it. But Des Kelly's point is plant the seed upstairs in your own building. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and, and I, I, I agree with that one too. I would I would note though, Andrew, like Pep and Klopp pre-pandemic were they come from a culture where there is more Klopp in particular, where there's a winter break, mm-hmm. you know? And and so this is a constant thorn in Klopp's But side. every club is playing by the same rules. Right, correct. Like, it's not like the season's going to end and Liverpool are going to have played 38 games on Saturdays at, at 1230. Like we said, there's a cap. No one yep. can play more than six. That, that rule didn't used to exist, by the way. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Neville mentioned that his Manchester United team in 0203 played 12 of those games. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer also mentioned... Um, has complained about this thing as well he, because he's been I think they've been a victim of it once or twice this season already with the early kickoff so yeah. look it's it's a it's a problem for the big clubs they won't get very much sympathy down the league I understand that um, I also but- think Klopp's trying to motivate his own players as well this idea of look even you know the league is against us the TV networks are against oh, us you, this, you, this idea of like the well, world versus Liverpool that's going full Fergie that's what Fergie yeah. did no, I, mean, I believe that was that's part of what's happening. Fergie was the master of creating the the siege mentality. That's that's what that's called. Yeah, look, this isn't going away. Or maybe it is going away because I think Klopp alluded to people asking him to stop going on about this. So maybe maybe he will stop. He can be reflective sometimes. And and um, I think he'll change tack over the coming weeks. Yeah. Uh, anything else for you from, from this past weekend? Uh, this past weekend, I'll, I'll just run through a, a, a few quick things. Um, particularly Leeds United who um, were described by Luke Edwards in the Telegraph as playing against him is like being put into the spin cycle in a washing machine, disorientating and painful. Um, they did a number on Everton, although, it, I mean, it was only one goal in it, 2.9 to two, to 1.5 on the XG, 23 shots for Leeds. I mean, that was fully getting Leeds by Everton. Um, Leeds continue to, to do what they do. Um, bad loss for Leicester against Fulham, and I'm going to do take the unprecedented step of giving it over to a Leicester listener, um, a supporter of this podcast, um, who had the following things to say about Brendan Rodgers, which is, I mean, that is a really dispiriting loss to lose at home to Fulham in that manner. Fulham, who are getting better, they may be another candidate for an in-the-club, Andrew, considering their full America status. But James Skinner said this, Setting up at the back five against Fulham would, was needless and negative. He's also removed all the pace of play out of, the, out of the team since the media praised him after the Man City result, thinking that works against everyone. Rodgers is such a baffling manager, it's hard to have faith in him. Um, and finally, Andrew, we, we return to Real some- quick, though, I should say, I made Fulham my red card last week for how bad they've been on penalties, specifically ah. Ivan Cavallero, who, who fell uh, a week ago. But hey- Cavallero back at it again, 38th minute, converts the penalty right now in what uh, in what turned out to be the, the 2-1 win, the deciding penalty. So props to them, props to him, getting right back on that horse, JJ. Yeah, and before we we finish with the Premier League for this uh, for this weekend, uh, there's breaking news, first of all, that I should probably get to. Uh, the Athletic are reporting that Newcastle's trip to Aston Villa is postponed. That was due to be on Friday. Uh, uh, Premier League have approved postponement after a COVID-19 outbreak at Newcastle. The Newcastle training ground is being, it's going to be closed till, well, it's going to be probably closed for the entire week now. It was scheduled to be closed until Wednesday. 
Um, so that's, it's, I guess it's the, amazing that they're only just now being forced to deal with this. Think about what baseball went through, what MLS went through, what the NFL is going through right now. And the fact that the Premier League is only just now having to deal with having to move a game around is yeah. it's kind of a testament to how how good of a job they've done um, in keeping the virus out of the league. It is. And they're taking they've taken action now, um, considering the Newcastle outbreak. And finally, Cavani, Andrew. Um, so we talked about how great he was. He may be facing a minimum three-game ban. Uh, the Jonathan Liu in The Guardian was saying, Edison Cavani could face three-game ban as FA investigates social media post. And um, the FA has confirmed it's investigating the post, which was published shortly after United's 3-2 win against Southampton, in which Cavani scored two goals. In the post, which was later deleted, the words, gracias, I'm not going to say the word, are used to thank a follower, a follower congratulating Cavani on his performance in the match at St. Mary's. Social media postings are covered by FA Rule E3, and if a comment is deemed to include a reference to a person's ethnic origin, colour, race, or nationality, then that will be regarded as a potential aggregating, aggravating factor in any punishment. The rules also make it clear that the owners of social media accounts are responsible for any content posted from their account, whether by themselves or by a third Party. Additionally, deleting an inappropriate post does not necessarily prevent a sanction from being imposed. Last year, Manchester City's Bernardo Silva was banned for one match after posting and then deleting a tweet comparing his teammate Benjamin Mendy to the cartoon figure on a brand of Spanish chocolate. If the FA decides to pursue the case, it will write to Cavani in the next few days asking for his written observations. Any charge must be issued by next Monday. Um. My so, I, my prediction is that he'll face a ban for that. I think so too. I think that the the precedent was set in the Mendy uh, the Silva Mendy case last year, and it'd be it, it would be a departure for the FA not to um, to issue a ban, regardless of whether this is a friendly colloquialism from South America. Um, the rules are pretty clear. You've got to be uber cautious. Um, yeah, it's and it's it's disappointing. Again. He deleted it quickly. He obviously realized his mistake. Um, I know yeah. that uh, this is a this is a difficult thing to do, but you almost feel like there should be some kind of whether it's a communications director at a club, there should be some meeting held with a club before a season, and maybe there probably is where they just kind of go through this sort of stuff. And and it's I say it's hard because it's impossible for them to, to list every that word is that happening, you should though. use. That I um, know. I know, but like if you have a player coming in from South America, we've seen this. We've we've seen incidents like this before. You know, there's there's uh, different dialects. There's there's different colloquialisms that just do not fly over here. And also, the, the most important thing is whenever you post on social media, you've got to realize that you may see it as a a friendly interchange with another person, but the words you used are seen by everybody and can be interpreted different ways. So you have to be uber careful. Yeah. And I, Ed, Edinson Cavani, I, I don't believe he's a racist, no more than I thought um, Bernardo Silva was one last year. But it's not about that, actually. It's about a term broadcast to millions that may be construed as offensive. So just don't say it. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a very quick break. We're going to come back. MLS postseason update, mailbag, lots to do still. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now, JJ. MLS, the postseason. We have our conference finals in the Eastern Conference. Uh, now, I do want to mention this, a little, a little public service announcement for all of you out there. 
I like to try to help people. Western Conference games uh, are going to take place tonight, Tuesday night, and Thursday night. That's right. You heard me correctly. Thursday night. It was originally Wednesday. Western Conference semi between Sporting Kansas City and Minnesota United FC has been moved back a day to Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on Fox and Fox Deportes. Uh, The shift in scheduling was not related to anything COVID-19 having to do with that. As part of this move, the Western Conference final will now take place one day later on Monday, December 7th on FS1 to maintain a minimum of three days of rest for all clubs. In addition, the league confirmed Columbus crew will host New England in the Eastern Conference final on Sunday, December 6th at 3 o'clock on ABC. So um, plan accordingly with that schedule change. Um, The Eastern Conference will focus mainly on that because, like I said, the West is still playing out as we speak. Uh, Columbus crew, I guess you'd have to say the best team remaining in the East uh, after the top two seeds go out, and we'll get to Orlando City in a moment, although I would think, to me, Columbus is a better team than Orlando City coming in. Um, it took a while, but they do break through. Extra time, Giassi Zardes getting the second, providing the assist on the first. Mm, I was wondering, Giassi there we go, yeah. Zardes scoring goals and assisting. Still an option for the U.S. men's national team. Which I'm fine with, by the way. Yeah, I thought I thought the Columbus goals when they came were very, very good and well taken goals. Um, Nashville had their chances early on. Walker Zimmerman's head could have put Columbus in a pickle, but um, I think the right result was reached in that game overall. Yeah, and I'm sorry for going short on that one. We'll talk more about Columbus, of course, after the, the Eastern Conference final. Um, but really the more surprising, or we can talk about how surprising it is, but it's what New England is doing right now as they are uh, mowing down the competition in the Eastern Conference, uh, a pretty impressive. This game was fascinating to me uh, for for all the action that it encompassed. You had, um, I, I just want to say, Tejon Buchanan was excellent in this. Really good game. For the Revs. Uh, drew the early penalty. Uh, then for the second goal, he starts the break, um, makes the run, gets the ball back, plays in the pass, creates that second goal. Uh, so he was very good for New England early on in this one. And... Yeah, I I just I got to talk about Carlos Heel just because we have a certain perception of New England when they're entering the playoffs. Where I'm not going to say that they're also Rams, but I don't think anyone was really taking them seriously. But JJ, how often they were eight seeds, right? And and we talk wasn't reflective. We talk all the time about injuries and this constant debate of whether or not an injury is an excuse or a reason. And Carlos Heel may very well be the best player on this New England team, and he missed most of the season. So, like, okay, they can have a next-man-up mentality. That can be what Bruce Arena preaches. That can be what the team preaches. But, like, we can comb through that and say, look, it matters. When your best player is out, it matters, and the results will reflect that. And he's back now, and there is a clear difference. God, the guy's involved in, like, every single goal that they've scored. But can I I take that? a step further and give Bruce Arena credit because he's done something difficult, which is to match the flair of heel and boo and also bring his own hard work, tight defensive mentality to this team. Look at that goal you talked about where Buchanan's involved. That goal happens almost up in the other corner. Nanny is on the ball and he swarmed by by first of all by Buchanan, but second of all by Heal, who is their most creative player, doing the hard work. 
and they break with the ball and they create the opportunity to score. That is Bruce Arena's team in a nutshell. That's how they came over Philadelphia, overcame Philadelphia Union, Andrew. First of all, Philly just had a, a terrible night. But New England were organized and when they had opportunities, they took them and they were very good in transition. This is vintage Bruce Arena. He could go all the way with this team. And we talk about getting hot at the right time. Like you said, getting fit at the right time is really important. And considering New England for large portions of this season did not have Carlos Hill, this is a huge, huge player to have come back in. He's one of the best players in MLS. Top. He could be top four or five, actually. He's that good. Look at the way he set up the third goal. You know, he's brilliant. I don't know how to call this one between Columbus and New England. I tend to lean a little bit towards Columbus. Yeah. Um, only because, like, remember, they also dealt with a lot of important injuries. Ilarion, Nagby, you know, they and they fought through those because there's a lot more depth on that team. And I think that that will matter. I, you know, we see how good New England are in attack right now. Columbus are, are good in attack in their own right. And so I look at the midfield and, you know, who's going to account for Darlington Nagby? I mean, I know you talk about this kind of tenacious style that Bruce Arena has has instilled within this New England team, um, but Nagby's difficult to contain. And so I just wonder if he's he's the X factor for Columbus in the conference final. I, 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 th- I think New England will take heart from how long and labored it was to to get to get a goal against Nashville. And I know that that Nashville team is sneaky because they're an expansion side, but they have so much experience in the side. Um, but I, I, I think New England won't won't fear Columbus. I really yeah. don't. By the way, with regards to Orlando, um, look, props to them because their existence has not been a great one. Um, so for them to have kind of changed perception. Your existence has not been good. <laughs> it's very hard. What a put down. It's very harsh. But look, I mean, their own supporters, I'm sure, would tell you that they've been disappointing. However, this year, perception started to change back in the MLS's back tournament, and that continued right through the season. So it didn't end the way that they wanted to. They probably felt that they should be beating New England, especially playing at home. They did have fans, not a full house, but enough fans there to make you know somewhat of a home advantage uh, and an impact on that game. So they'll be disappointed, but... Don't have Nanny taking penalties anymore. He's not good at it. That's that's the one. You're down a man. And by the way, Two, one. justifiably down a man. Mauricio yeah. Pereira's red card. What are you like? What are you doing? And, and I know he's not thinking about where the referee is, but the referee's right there to see it. It's such an you can make that challenge, that exact challenge, without having studs up and going into the back of a player's leg the way that he did. Why is he making it there? It's not even in a dangerous last gasp scenario where you could make some kind of mitigating yeah. factor. And then, for him. and then the reaction afterwards: four or five guys swarming the referee, screaming. You know, it was it was not a pretty scene. I get when a team season is on the line like that, you feel like a referee's deciding your fate, but you kind of decided your own fate when you decided to make that challenge. But yeah, the, the chance there, they, they win the penalty down a goal uh, and down a man. And yeah, Nanny's penalty, plus Matt Turner's and just an awesome goalkeeper, one of the best in this league. And there you have it. New England got one more after that, and they are going through. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, incredible. The, uh, the U.S. men's national team roster, I, I had a quick look at the forwards after Jossie Zardes' um, kind of very good cameo at the weekend. Uh, so 9th of December... Greg Berhalter's MLS heavy U.S. men's national team will take on El Salvador. Um, so let's go through the team and not goals for their country, but rather goals this season. Io Akinola, Toronto FC, has nine league goals. Can we stop on him for one sec? 
Yeah, you may. I know you mentioned at the start of the show your curiosity about the attack and the forwards. He, the player you just mentioned there, he is the one that I'm most interested in heading into this game because you know there is still this perceived opening. It's not perceived. That, it's there. Striker posi- well, it is there, but like we don't know what Greg Berhalter is thinking. He might think if I have Josh Sargent available, it's not there. Or if I have Giassi Zardes available to me, it's not there. Like We don't know what he's thinking. There's also um, the opening. We don't know that if Akinola is even going to commit to this team. That's true, too. Uh, but he's the one that I'm, I'm most curious what this audition is going to look like for him. Because right. this is an opportunity, certainly. So I'm including, I, in, in my tallies, I'm including MLS's back tournament as well. That was... And and also regular season. Efren Alvarez can't play. So the 18-year-old has won MLS goal this season, but he can't play in this in this game. He has not filed his one-time change of because he's played youth for Mexico. He hasn't filed his one-time change of uh, uh allegiance form. And so therefore he'll be involved in training, I guess, but he won't be playing. So I guess Berhalter is going to take him in to try and convince him to to declare for the United States. But I thought that was kind of curious. Paul Ariola obviously has been injured most, if not all of the season. So he's only, he hasn't scored. Daryl Dyke, Orlando City, he has eight goals this season. Um, Jordi Mihailovic, Chicago Fire, he's got two goals. Now these are, I mean, I don't see Jordi Mihailovic as an out-and-out striker, but these are listed as the forwards in the squad. Chris Mueller, Orlando City, he's got 10 goals. Jossie Zardes, 15 goals so he's kind of head and shoulders above all those strikers there and depending on how Columbus get on I guess he could be called into that squad yeah well you think so or do you think that they'll I mean their next game is December what did we say it was if it's on Monday December 7th and the El Salvador game is December 9th so right but if he's out I don't expect no if they get to the final he won't play but if, but even get, even not even if they are eliminated in the semifinal do you think they'll just fly him right there without having trained with then with this team I don't think so I think I think that Bearhalter wants to see I mean I know there are some veteran players on that side you know Sebastian Legette is there yeah. um Walker Zimmerman was included there you know there's some veterans but I think he wants to see some younger players maybe for a look at how they're going to qualify for the Olympics um so I, I, regardless, I don't think you'll see any Columbus players okay. um, in the squad. But I'm looking forward to it, Certainly. of course. Uh, let's see, JJ. We'll get to the mailbag in one sec. Let's take another quick break, uh, and then we'll we'll wind it down here with this uh, this mailbag and your opportunity to prove to people that you are not, as you say, a soulless monster. Don't go anywhere. Oh, a December mail busy. Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com is the email. Caught off at caught off site ESPN on Instagram at CO Soccer Pod on the Twitter machine. Follow us. Go and leave us a review on iTunes as well, or wherever you can leave reviews. We need to be ranked. We need to be told that we're doing a good job. Leave us a five star review, and then maybe slate us in the comments. Do whatever you want. Um, Seth starts us off. Who is your guy's favorite to be the next coach of the German national team? Well, the DFB have announced that. Um, I will do this in, in, in obviously Champions League voice. The executive committee agreed that what counts is the high quality work of coaching staff, the intact relationship between the team and the coach, and a clear concept for the previous and future procedures. The previous procedures. Huh. The defeat of the national team against Spain was discussed in the conversation with the national coach and in the following telephone conference of the DFB Presidium. A single game cannot and must not be a yardstick for the general performance 
of the national team and national coach. So Yogi Love will stay on as German manager. So I don't know who's going to replace him. I'm just still fascinated by the fact that he's going to remain as manager. Um, and it reminds me of something in particular. Andrew, have you seen the TV show The Thick of It? No. It's the show that inspired Veep and was written by the same people. It's on Hulu. It's it's British political drama, or comedy rather, satire. It's very, very funny. And this reminds me of something that happens a government minister on the show, uh, a conversation with his advisors in the midst of a scandal. And the advisor... Uh, the advisors have given him bad advice about stepping down. Here's how it plays out. I can't resign, and I'm not going to resign. I had the perfect moment to resign, which was right early on, when I could have resigned in a dignified and statesmanlike way, and you both advised me not to resign, so now I can't resign. Good. <laughs> I feel like we're at this point. Like, where was the dignified exit for Yogi Love? It's not after the 6-0 against Spain. Okay, which was right. Just, He's not going out like that. No, he ain't going out like that. It 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 was probably not even after they didn't even get out of the group at the World Cup in 2018. The dignified end was probably after the elimination in the quarterfinal or semifinal of Euro 2016 to France. Semis, right? Semis. That was the time to go, wasn't it? I mean, this this ship has sailed now. But that might have been a weird thing, like. Were people saying then that it's time that he's run his course here? Like, I don't know. I think in hindsight, maybe it's easier to say that. Well, then, okay, the group exit after the World Cup was the time yeah. to go. Uh, that no, that may be true. Now we're in the diminishing returns point of of his. I mean, this is not good, and most people expected that there would be announcement that at some point he would be leaving. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the question that we were asked by Seth here of who we would, who we could see doing that job next. Oh, don't um, worry about Seth's question. Oh. Let me go on a rant about the thick of it. Well, I, I wonder, JJ, like, could this, could Yogi Lowe's time as German manager coincide with Jurgen Klopp's time as Liverpool manager coming to an end and Jurgen Klopp just wanting to attack a different challenge, maybe wanting to take a step back from the day-to-day grind of club management and then... But Maybe did, give a shot at winning a World Cup with his country. Yeah, but he loves the day-to-day control and being kind of an invigilator over all aspects of the club and turning a club around. That's harder to do at international football. I don't know. I don't have any answer for your set, to be totally honest with you. I'm still stunned by the fact that uh, the sniffer-in-chief remains. <laughs> we will never, ever let that go. Um, here's a listener shout-out for the holidays to prove JJ is not a soulless monster on the back of the Ted Lasso debacle. Uh, Carly Murphy, uh, she contacted us. Hello, my boyfriend, Dan McGraw, is a huge fan of your podcast and a diehard soccer fan in general, Liverpool Football Club. I was wondering if you're doing any holiday holiday shout-outs or give, um, giveaways on your show. We don't give anything away, Carly. Um, I would love to surprise him. Well, Dan McGraw, here is your surprise. I want to wish you a wonderful, happy, warm, and snuggly, holiday with with carly some other fun facts about dan originally from northeast pa he lived in philadelphia oh for a few years and we just moved to miami florida dan is in medical residency training to be a pediatrician which is one of the most important traditions uh some other important traditions include electrician his true loves are soccer liverpool but also is a philly union and inter miami fan 
pasta and then me, I think. So Carly coming a bit down the, the depth depth chart there. But um, well done, Dan. And, uh, you know, have a great time. There, I did something warm and fuzzy. That was very Hallmark, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. Just know, Dan, that you've clearly been used just now for JJ to try and show some <laughs> side of himself, that, <laughs> trying to prove to people that he's someone that he's not. Okay, we must get on, Andrew. Um, I know. Aaron Singh, uh, Milan won without Zlatan yesterday. Does this convince you guys that they can challenge for the Scudetto without him playing each and every game? Love the pod. Um, I'm just going to say this, Aaron. I'm not saying Milan can't win it without him playing each and every game. Um, I haven't seen enough of them this season. But they beat Fiorentina, and it wasn't like a, a, a center forward scored either of the goals. It was, I think, a center back and a center mid. And this is the stat that you can't get away from. They've scored 21 goals so far in Serie A, and Zlatan has scored half of them. Wow. All right. <laughs> so that's kind of important. Uh, John E. Uh, first, I just want to say I love the pod. The other day, I was thinking about sponsors and national teams. Are national teams allowed to have sponsors on their jerseys like Ireland does? If so, why don't more teams have them? Well, all national teams are prohibited from playing in FIFA UEFA competitions with shirt sponsors on them. There's a number of reasons for that, but it's mainly to do with tournament integrity and also the protection of the big sponsorship partners who pay big bucks to be plastered all over World Cup tournaments. Uh, Individual team shirt sponsors would harm that. Ireland doesn't have a sponsor on its shirts that it wears during games. It has on its replica shirts since the mid-80s. They're the only country I know that does that. And um, the shirts that are worn on the field do not have that sponsorship. Um, Ben Weiler on Instagram. Let's all go Dutch. Thought you might enjoy this idea since we all seem to love VAR so much. Uh, How about, uh, this is uh, what the Dutch are doing in the Eredivisie. And this is the... I guess they've, like the article says, they have gone rogue. Against FIFA's orders, they have implemented a 10 centimeter linesman's call to avoid hassle and discussions to the centimeter. The VAR uses the same crosshair technology, but this time using lines that are each five centimeters wide. If those lines are shown to be touching, the VAR will not intervene and stick with the decision of the insistent referee, even if the attacker is slightly offside. In the Merseyside Derby, the linesman kept his flag down. If the lines were touching, the goal would have stood. Thoughts on that, Andrew? Hmm. Not a bad idea. I don't give yourself kind of this kind of like this kind of like uh, margin for error. Yeah. Dale Johnson of ESPN, who is the best on many of these things, read his thread. If you think that going Dutch would reverse a lot of the contentious offsides that we've seen. Think again. He doesn't. It need might that. create more. Yeah. Think, think, think again on that. But it's certainly something to to be considered if we're just accepting that VAR cannot be overturned like the mad dictator it is, or that I think it is. Um, existential Mets fan. What's JJ's thoughts on the mess with Celtic? Would getting rid of Neil Lennon be enough to turn around to turn them around, or is it a bigger problem? Uh, the abo- the board appear not to want to push Lennon. Uh, Kieran Canning, the journalist, has this. RE on la- uh, latest on Lennon's future. I suspect he may be kept on for Milan on Thursday and Lille in the Europa League games to protect a new manager from two more beatings. Looks like that will now happen. So he's going to be kept on. And, and I mean, if they get a positive result in either, maybe he stays on. Um, you're a Mets fan, so I, ex- I assume you know what ownership can do to an organization. And the board seem really reluctant to get rid of Lennon because he's a club legend. 
Uh, there were fans protesting outside the ground after losing in the cup to Ross County at the weekend. Um, and that's the mailbag, Andrew. Wow. Great stuff. I enjoyed it. This was a big pod. I enjoyed this podcast very much, JJ. I think we're in the sweet spot right now, to be yeah. totally honest with you. We've got a lot of Champions League action this week. We've got uh, more MLS coming up at the weekend. And then on Monday, um, we've got Premier League. we got a U.S. International coming up against El Salvador. So there is, we're in that busy time. And then it's the holiday period coming up just after that. And uh, also, I should say that the overwhelming amount of people seem to want to have us uh, do a live virtual watch party game thing for some game coming up soon. So I will have more details on that next week. I think we're going to do it. It may be a game that doesn't suit Andrew's schedule. So you may just have little old JJ. <laughs> so I've just been, I've just been boxed out. Not well. Amazing. I think, I think work and life commitments might get in your way for this one, but we can discuss it. Just amazing. Uh, yeah, we'll discuss it. We'll discuss it. But it's going to happen. I don't know what you're plotting behind the scenes, but it's making me very uncomfortable. Um, hey, North London Derby this weekend also, by the way. So that's uh, that should be perfect. Should be an interesting for, one. Perfect time for Arsenal to bounce back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 